Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yo, welcome to another episode of the Forum Club. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, Lakers beat writer for The Athletic. And we are on week two of the Lakers season being over. Uh, there is no real developments with the coaching search. Uh, of note, I think, is that Nick Nurse and the Toronto Raptors are currently down 03 to 03, 03, whatever you want to say. To the Philadelphia 76ers, I'm recording this right now, uh, Wednesday night, and Joel Embiid hit a game-winning three-pointer with a couple seconds left in overtime to put the Sixers up 3-0. So I don't. I, I think Nick Nurse is obviously one of the best coaches in the league, and I think he's he's probably a pipe dream for the Lakers. But there is the clutch connection, which I think makes it more of a possibility than if there were no clutch connection, right? Um, you know, like to, to nab a head coach from another team, I, I think that there has to be some type of connection there. And I think the clutch connection helps. And if the Raptors get swept or, or even now lose 4-1 after I, I think a lot of people, uh, my official prediction was Sixers and seven. Uh, I know some people were even picking the Raptors. Like I, I think people thought this was going to be a much closer series of course, Scotty Barnes' injury in Game One changes that dynamic. Uh, he, he's been, you know, the the second or third best player for the Raptors for for large stretches this season. So it, it's totally understandable that that would be a, a big blow, especially when they're going up against, you know, the, they were the underdogs, even if it was projected to be close. So, but this is all to say that who knows? Maybe if they get swept, that I think that opens the door slightly more for Nick Nurse to become the Lakers' next head coach. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. I don't think it's like a drastic shift because I I still think Toronto is a very process-oriented program and and they're going to value Nick Nurse. I mean, it, it really is hard to upgrade on, on Nick Nurse. I, I think it's a very short list of coaches I would take uh, above him uh, right now. So, uh, but, but that, I mean, other than that, there has not really been much. Um, you know, there was a report uh, earlier today that the Lakers are going to be looking to shop Kendrick Nunn and, and Taylor Horton Tucker in a first round pick. And uh, I mean, if that's the case, I think you got to attach that first to Russ and just dump Russ. But that would be my priority number one. But I, I want to touch on a story that I just wrote for the Athletic uh, report: Laker player report cards, grades for LeBron, AD, Russ, and the rest of the roster. Wanted to touch on my thoughts and give you guys some of those grades. And I'm curious, uh, you know, what, what you guys think of my grading and, and sort of what grades uh, you'd give each player. So I want to bounce around some of the more notable guys. I, I will share at the end, I'll share the grade for every player and, and kind of recap it. Uh, but of course, I, I think the top eight to 10 guys are probably worth somewhat of a discussion. Uh, 
so we'll, we'll start with LeBron. Uh, I gave him an A. And it, it's really hard to find fault in LeBron's season, uh, as I wrote. Like, the biggest thing, uh, the, the biggest knock, of course, he missed 26 games. Uh, but really, the biggest knock is that he had a central role in the disastrous Westbrook acquisition. But aside from that, uh, I think LeBron had the Lakers been where we thought they would be, which which would probably be a team with home court advantage in the West. Uh, I think he would have been in the MVP conversation for the third straight year. Remember a couple years ago, the the you know the, the bubble year that they the Lakers won. Uh, it was him and Giannis. Then last year, he was arguably the favorite before going down uh, with, with his ankle sprain after Solomon Hill dove into him. And then obviously, he, he didn't win the award. So this year, I, I think he would have been in that conversation if healthy or well, if healthy, because he, he wasn't healthy, you know, the last few weeks of the season. But but also kind of largely, I, I think he, he might have been able to play through some of those things had the Lakers been in, in you know, better, uh, you know, better record better contention. So we've just never seen a 37 year old as great as LeBron. Like he is the best, he was the best 35 year old, best 36 year old, best 37 year old. We've seen, he continues to defy father time every season, uh, seemingly breaking every statistical milestone and setting new records that didn't previously exist. Uh, you know, this past season was not only his best offensive season in LA, but one of the best of his career period, uh, averaging 30.3 points, which was a career best, uh, 62% shooting on twos, second best of his career, and 3.7 three-point makes per 100 possessions was the most of his career. Officially averaged 2.9 threes per game, which was the most, but I, I wanted to, you know, for, for minutes and possessions, I wanted to kind of standardize it, so moved it to per 100 possessions, but he still maintained the most three uh, point makes uh, per 100 possessions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. So, I mean, LeBron just continues to evolve as an offensive player. He's become a better shooter, both from the mid-range and uh, from beyond the arc. And then he also is still this incredibly dynamic and effective driver and finisher uh, despite not being as athletic as he once was. I mean, go back and watch, uh, you know, early, it was like the midway point of the season. Someone put out some Cleveland LeBron highlights from his first go round in Cleveland. And I like, it's jarring to see that player compared to this player. And, and you know, the, the numbers are so similar, but like their games are entirely different. And that guy was like, uh, you know, we talk about John Moran and, and different guys and, and how fun they are to watch. Like, LeBron was doing that stuff at six foot nine and just, you know, uh, zooming to the rim and slithering by guys, ramming through guys, dunking on people. Like he was just a monster. I think people kind of forget peak physical LeBron. Uh, and he's kind of been that guy like his whole career, but really like, you know, ages 20, like 22 to 27, he was just unbelievable from an athletic perspective. But I think the other thing you could say with him is that his, Defensive effort waned a bit 
But to me, that's excusable given his age and the offensive burden. He carried a lot, played a lot more center, uh, a lot more power forward, and kind of changed his responsibilities, was, was more of a screener and a role guy. But I'm giving LeBron an A. I think that he's demonstrated an unprecedented level of longevity on his quest for a fifth title and passing Kareem for number one on the all-time scoring list. And really, to me, the great tragedy of the Lakers season is that they wasted one of LeBron's final great seasons. We don't know how many more he has. It would be foolish to doubt him. I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, I, I will continue to believe in LeBron until he crumbles, which may never happen. He may just go out on top, kind of you know the way we thought Tom Brady w- was potentially going to go out. But like you know, or, or still playing at a high level. Tom Brady didn't go out winning a Super Bowl, but like you, you know what I'm saying. So uh, my grade for LeBron is an A. Next up, Anthony Davis. This one was so tough. This was the hardest grade by far because, you know, so I, I guess I, I probably should have prefaced this earlier, uh, but my, my position on, on these grades are, obviously they're subjective. It, it's entirely my opinion, my perspective, uh, and, and individual to each player, which means for me, just because I give, you know, I could give two people an A, but an A for LeBron is different than an A for Malik Monk. Like the standard there is going to be different. So what what I expect from LeBron, you know, and, and again, LeBron, 30 points, eight rebounds, six assists, 1.3 steals, 1.1 blocks, 62% true shooting percentage. Like LeBron checked pretty much every box you would want, especially when factoring in his age. So again, for me, letter grades are subjective, individual to each player. Uh, and, and some of the things I look at, Per game, advanced statistics, uh, lineup data, film, role, skill set, age, performance relative to expectations, and comparing this season to last season and prior seasons, kind of again, depending on the player and, and where they're at in their career. Like, you know, I'm not going to compare LeBron to his peak, Carmelo to his peak, Dwight to his peak. Like, you know, they're at kind of different stages of their respective careers, but I will compare them to the previous season, maybe the previous couple seasons and look at sort of their role. And I I take all these different factors in and come up with a grade that's still probably going to make you upset, but, but you know, it's, it's a subjective exercise. So 80 was really tough. His notable numbers, which I have for each player. If you read the story on the athletic 23 points, basically 10 rebounds, three assists, little over two blocks, 1.2 steals, 58 true shooting percentage uh, for the second straight season. AD's season was derailed by not just one, but really multiple injuries and similar to 2020, 2021. Uh, there were some freak occurrences this year where again, it wasn't just like, I mean, yes, there's the nightly Anthony Davis falls and he has to go back to the locker room and, and Laker fans, uh, blood pressure rises and, and, you know, it always looks like there's some major injury going on, but so, you know, his major, the, the couple in Minnesota and against Utah, like those were both freak, just collisions where someone falls into him and like, or, or he lands funny and like, you, you can't control that. Like, I, I don't think it's fair to, he's got, he's got the nickname street clothes Davis and all that stuff. But like, that's not fair to Anthony Davis. Now, Perhaps his additional bulk, you know, he did bulk up to play some more center, did play more center, uh, and maybe being a close, like some of those things added up, but these things happen. 
And they just hap- they tend to happen more to Anthony Davis, however unfair that reality is. Uh, but that you know, some of these injuries that he's had the past couple of years have just been freak accidents, which like you cannot prepare for those. Just like LeBron could not prepare for Solomon Hill diving into his leg, like just sometimes stuff happens. But from a numbers perspective, AD's season was actually better than last season, uh, which was arguably his worst season since his rookie year. And I think overall solid for number two, like what you want. He, he was pretty much there for, for the most part. Um, you know, he, he posted career best finishing numbers within three feet of the basket, played second most minutes of his career at center. And I think he did as much as he could realistically defensively to make up for how poor the rest of the supporting cast was defensively. Uh, Lakers defense was better with him on the floor. That said, I, I think the Lakers have expected more from him. Uh, especially when he's been available, because I, I know obviously has not been available much. Uh, to me, the revisionist history on the AD trade is silly. The Lakers won a championship. They would and should make that trade 10 out of 10 times, regardless of how things play out from now. I know the Pelicans are having a moment, tied 1-1 with the Suns, but that is not winning. A ch- like They're not winning a championship this year. So I think the AD trade, the revisionist history on it is a bit ridiculous, but I think there are some things you can hold against them. He's, you know, his jump shot has abandoned him for the past two seasons since the bubble. He's only played in 76 regular season games over the past two seasons. And I think the Lakers should be better in the 80 on LeBron off minutes. Those have been really an issue throughout his time in LA, aside from the 2020 bubble run. Um, And I think for AD, there is a concern moving forward of just, he has accrued an assortment of lower body injuries and whether he's injury prone or not, whether you want to use that label or not, it doesn't really matter. You know, if, if you get, if you get injured, whether you're injury prone or not, those start to add up. And though he is 28, he does not always move that way. He's still a transcendent talent, but I wonder where he, to me, it's unclear if he can be that centerpiece of the Lakers post LeBron future, whenever that happens. There, there was a point not too long ago, even as recently as the bubble, but remember kind of his peak in New Orleans where AD was right there as a top three, top five player in the league. To me now, he's closer to that top 15 range, depending on which version the Lakers of him are, uh, which version of him the Lakers are getting. But so I guess my grade for AD was a B minus. I think there's some people who'd give him some form of a C. I think some people might even say like, his actual numbers weren't that bad. And I think that there's kind of a a divide between the eye test with AD and his numbers. Like he will still put up numbers and not even look great. And that's where, because, you know, based on his numbers, I might even give him, you know, that's, that's where initially I was like, maybe a B, but like, I think there was just kind of an essence there that, that was missing a bit watching him play that uh, for, for me knocked him down to a B minus. All right. Now I want to get into Russ, which of course is going to be a fun one. And then I, I want to keep the other ones kind of quick hitting, but uh, I figured the three stars are, are the three I should spend the most time on and then uh, get into some other ones. So my grade for Russ, I, I realized for the AD one, I, I put my grade at the end. I'm going to keep it at the beginning so you can be upset at me in the beginning and, and then kind of hear my rationale. So for Russ, I gave him a D. Uh, I think you could give him an F. You could give him a D minus, uh, D plus maybe. But but for me, I, I gave him a D Notable numbers, uh, 18.5 points, 7.4 rebounds, 7.1 assists, one steal, 51.2 uh, 
uh, true shooting percentage. Keep in mind, league average is around 56%, so about 5% below that. The Westbrook fit was always awful, and like th- there was no denying that. Uh, it, it never made sense. But even the biggest skeptics didn't see it playing out this poorly with the Lakers missing the playing tournament and Russ eventually being booed by the home crowd after air balls and uh, backboard clanking jumpers. I think we kind of knew that stuff was going to happen. Not the booze, but but sort of the, the bad jump shooting. But Russ regressed as a shooter, a finisher, and a defender in L.A. Uh, in route to arguably the worst statistical season of his career. He never adjusted the way he promised LeBron and AD he would before the season. He didn't cut or move consistently off the ball. He didn't screen. He was indifferent defensively. Really, he was an actively harmful player on both ends of the floor. And I think his his per-game numbers, you hear 18, 7, and 7, and that's not, I mean, that's pretty good. You know, most guys would take 18, 7, and 7, uh, but that kind of you know, to me, that belies the the negative impact of his near league worst jump shooting, or his turnovers, or his poor defense. Like Russ was just a net negative this season, and to me, the notion that he was giving everything he had while he was on the floor, which is a common refrain you'll hear from TV announcers and analysts, was debatable at best, and. If that was true, his best clearly wasn't good enough. Worst of all, in my opinion, he never took accountability, deflecting and putting the blame elsewhere on his coaches, the media, the fans, the refs. When he criticized his play, he referenced his previous triple-double averages, which have really always been meaningless as his barometer for his own play. So even then, it, was, it wasn't actually criticized, you know, I need to improve my shot selection. I need to reduce my turnovers. I need to improve my defense. It was just, oh, no, I'm not averaging a triple-double. So, of course, you know, I'm not having a great season. Uh, And I I will say, while he certainly failed to live up to the lofty expectations of being the third star on this team, uh, he was set up for failure somewhat, given the surrounding pieces and former head coach Frank Vogel's preferred style for defensive-minded players and two big lineups because... The Lakers did go with some defensive lineups that had poor shooting, and and obviously the two big lineups throw Russ in there, and that's a recipe for offensive disaster. So I think some of it was, again, Russ wasn't put in the best situation, but he did not try to adapt. And I know he said that at exit interviews. It was pretty comical because that just was factually inaccurate. Uh, He is an aging superstar who has not accepted that he is no longer a superstar. And I think moving forward, he needs to embrace a role player mentality and and do the dirty work and accept a smaller offensive role. And I fully expect that to happen in a different uniform next season. But my grade for Russ is a D, uh, D for disaster. Now some quicker ones here. Uh, I gave Malik Monk an A minus. You know, the Lakers gambled on him last summer. The Mavericks were the only other team that contacted him. And it paid off, in my opinion, one of the better veteran minimum contracts of the offseason. And at first, it wasn't clear what Monk's role was going to be with the Lakers re-signing THT and bringing in Kendrick Nunn and bringing in Russ and bringing in Wayne Ellington and Kent Bazemore. And it was like, there was going to be a perimeter squeeze. But with the preseason injuries to 
THT and, and Nunn and Ellington and Ariza, all of a sudden the, there was all these spots in the rotation that were available. And Malik eventually emerged as a reliable fourth option beyond the three stars and as a three-level scorer who could get to the rim and finish, score in the mid-range, and obviously score beyond the arc. Uh, he improved as a playmaker over the second half of the season. He was just a fan favorite with his joy and his smile. Uh, I think you can make the case he was the third best Laker this season. And to me, his free agency is one of the biggest questions of the offseason. Next, Carmelo Anthony, give him a B plus. Melo was one of the few bright spots of the season. He did exactly what he was supposed to do. Make threes at a high level, occasionally score against mismatches inside the arc, and compete on the glass and defensively as best he could, despite his obvious physical limitations. Uh, he, you know, there's just kind of this calm, cool presence to him. Laker fans loved him. He'd always get a you know cheered loudly when he checked in. He was given multiple standing ovations. He single-handedly swung several games this season with those crazy three-point runs he would go on. Uh, but his three-point shooting did cool down after the new year. He shot just 35% after January 1st. And I think ultimately his role was a little too big for him to handle as a 37-year-old aging forward. Uh, he was a defensive liability. We, we saw uh, famously, or you know, at least famously for Laker fans, should be uh, rookie Jalen Green boldly saying the Rockets' game plan was to attach Mello, uh, or to attack Mello rather, uh, as much as possible during uh, the the Rockets' win over the Lakers uh, back in March. And you know, so I, I think at this point, Mello is not a guy you close with. He he shouldn't be relied upon as like a top two bench player for your team. But he is a stretch four who can come in and swing a quarter, swing a game with his shooting, but you should not rely on him for, for much else. And as a soon to be 38 year old, uh, I am interested to see kind of where his role ultimately goes. Is it with LA? Is it with another team? Um, he, he did sound like someone who was maybe gone, but I, it was kind of unclear based on his exit interview, but, uh, yeah, so I, I think for me, Melo's B plus would have been an A minus or an A for just the first half of the season, but his place certainly declined over the second half of the season. Next up, Austin Reeves gave him A minus. I think the collective reaction to the Lakers signing Reeves uh, after the LeBron led players only mini uh, camp in, in Vegas was who? But within weeks, the conversation changed to. Why isn't Reeves playing more? And, you know, so Reeves, undrafted rookie wing, quickly became one of the best examples of the Lakers' outstanding scouting, especially with underrated late-round prospects. His versatility brought a shape-shifting element to lineups. He could defend multiple positions, execute team defense, compete on the glass and for loose balls, knock down threes, though his shooting did become an issue in the second half of the season, uh, get out in transition, and serve as a valuable secondary ball handler and playmaker in a lot of lineups. He did all the dirty work, including taking a shot to the face seemingly every night, which was uh, one of the running jokes kind of with the Lakers team of, of just how much he got hit in the face. Uh, like his spiritual predecessor, Alex Caruso, he had a uncanny chemistry with LeBron James. Uh, he, he's compared his game to Joe Ingles, and I, I think there's certainly shades of Ingles in there. His three-point shooting was an issue in the second half of the season and, and ultimately, I think, kind of capped his role with Frank. But 
similar to Monk, he was in the conversation for third best Laker. And I think that shows both Reeve, like just the the shock of, of Reeves' development and his readiness, as well as all the things that went wrong that this undrafted rookie who was the 14th guy uh, of the roster, you know, was in the conversation for third best Laker. Uh, next up, Stanley Johnson gave him a B plus. He arrived in LA during the COVID outbreak. Uh, immediately, his effort and energy made an impact. He, you remember, he defended James Harden on Christmas Day. Uh, from that point, to me, he was the most versatile non-LeBron, non-AD option in the rotation. He became a essential part of those centerless lineups, uh, handling, I think, big man responsibilities next to LeBron in a way that Melo and Ariza just couldn't. Uh, his care factor, a, a Vogel favorite, uh, was always high. He had some playmaking chops that he showed, uh, kind of some unique passing that he could do off the dribble, finding cutters and shooters. Um, I think w- one thing that really, <coughs> excuse me, one thing that stood out w- with Stanley for me was how open he was with his journey uh, from being a former lottery pick to a bit of a journeyman role player. He accepted and, and acknowledged his strengths and weaknesses and, and really carved out a niche as a defense first kind of energy guy who could occasionally get hot from beyond the arc. Uh, now his lack of shooting, which is a running trend throughout the Lakers rotation, um, I think ultimately kind of caps his role, but it was another success story for the Lakers that they uncovered this young player who ended up being a productive part of the rotation. Next up, THT, I gave him a D and he was really, he was probably the second hardest guy to grade behind AD. Uh, but to me, he was probably the biggest disappointment of the season outside of Westbrook. The Lakers committed to him being their fourth highest paid player, which in part led to them not giving Alex Crusoe a market value offer. And so, you know, while they could have technically kept Crusoe and THT, they could have offered Crusoe more and just been the luxury tax. But like it, it kind of became a THT versus Alex Crusoe situation where the Lakers wanted to walk away with at least one of the two. They ideally wanted both, but they offered THT a bigger contract than Alex Crusoe. And, you know, ultimately reading the tea leaves, like they, they did essentially pick THT over Alex Crusoe. You know, you, you can kind of frame it however you want, but, but that is essentially what happened. So they, they invested a lot in, in THT and, and in his potential but despite him being the fourth highest paid player, you can make the case he was not a top eight player for the Lakers this season. I would clearly put LeBron, AD, Malik Monk, Austin Reeves, Stanley Johnson, Russ, and Carmelo Anthony above THT. Uh, you, you could even make cases for like when, you know, when Gabriel had some really good stretches, Dwight Howard had some, like THT was not good. He, from, you know, uh, and this was a problem really for a, a team that had so many players on minimum contracts that the they had only had five guys not on minimum contracts. And those were the three stars plus THT and Kendrick Nunn. And you had LeBron miss 26 games, AD miss 42 games, Russ have a Russ season, Kendrick Nunn missed the entire season, and then THT underperformed. So really like we can point to a bunch of different things that went wrong with the Lakers season, but a big part of it was the players making the most money either being injured or underperforming and THT struggled as a secondary playmaker and in an off the ball role, 
He regressed in most of his shooting categories and posted career worst numbers across the board. And like on a per game level, you know, played more minutes. So some of those numbers are up. But if you look at per 36 per 100, he was worse than his first two seasons. Didn't fit with Russell Westbrook. Uh, I think did improve his his floater arsenal. So I, I, I want to give you know I want to give him some credit there. Where I, I think defenses started to adjust to him last season. Uh, kind of his predictable driving and finishing patterns, and THC kind of countered that w- w- with an improved floater and improved mid range game. But the Lakers ultimately needed more from him, and I, I think you know him having that ankle injury towards the end of the season didn't help. Uh, but he was hyped up by Frank Vogel as this potential defensive stopper that never transpired uh similar to Russ I, I don't think he was put in a position to succeed I think he needs the ball and that was something the Lakers couldn't really provide and then on top of that you had Malik Monk and Austin Reeves emerging in the rotation eventually Stanley Johnson so I, I think there was also more mouths to feed and THC kind of fell to the side at times a little bit uh, but he's only 21 and he continues to show flashes I just think he needs to be more consistent moving forward uh, some quick hitting grades here. I gave Dwight Howard a C. I, I think ultimately he was solid, but was not as effective as he was a couple years ago and clearly was not an every night player, was someone that probably should be playing one out of every two or three games. Fan favorite Avery Bradley uh, gave him a C-. minus. I think considering the context of him being the 15th man and, and really added right before the season started, I think Bradley actually had value and was better than, say, Wayne Ellington or Kent Bazemore for certain stretches of the season. But he was not a starter. You know, he, he should not have been starting. He should not have been playing twenty plus minutes. Remember, this guy was cut from Warriors training camp uh, for, for that fifteenth spot. And Frank Vogel loves him. We'll never know why. Uh, you know, Frank essentially said he's unstoppable, which is the same thing Doc Rivers said a few years ago when, when asked about Avery Bradley and. Uh, coaches just seem to love him, even though there's no data really to support his elite defense. Um, and he struggles, you know, on the ball. He's good at pressuring, good at you know hounding guys full court, but off the ball doesn't rotate, doesn't box out. Not great at tracking shooters around screens. Uh, he's a good shooter himself, but defenses will ignore him, clogging the paint. And I think again, kind of bringing up Ellington Bazemore, I think he should have had that type of role where more of a matchup dependent rotation player who was not in the rotation every night. Uh, I, I don't, I do not think he should have been starting and closing games the way he was. And that to me is probably Frank, aside from the Deandre Jordan uh, experiment that failed to start the season. I think Frank Vogel's obsession with Avery Bradley was, was probably his biggest sin as a coach from a rotational standpoint. Kedrick Nana gave him an, an NA and uh, incomplete, but you can give him an F considering he missed the whole season. I'd be fine with that. He was the team's projected six man. He was their highest paid free agent acquisition, fifth highest paid player on the team, did not play, or he said he's picking up his team option for next season uh, when I think he'll either be a prime candidate for a bounce back year, which could provide bargain value for the Lakers, or as a trade sweetener, depending on his recovery and how things go. Wayne and Gabriel, I gave him a B plus. Uh, he's the exact type of player that the Lakers needed in the front court. Young, long, athletic, 3 and D skill set. Didn't shoot the ball that well, and that would kind of be a big gripe. Also, is a bit foul prone. His slim figure, he can be attacked by stronger, bigger players. But he career he played career best basketball with the Lakers. If you look at his numbers, just you know, there was a jump in LA. They uh, you know transferred him from a two-way contract to the official roster. That obviously isn't easy. 
that's impressive. You know, similar to I think Stanley and Austin was a active, energetic piece of the rotation, a mobile big who I think moving forward, you know, probably on the fringes of the rotation, probably shouldn't be an every night guy, but um, depending on his shot, you know, I, th- I think it really comes down to his shot. If, if he can get that to a average to above average level with the physical tools he has, he could play himself into like a fourth or fifth big role. DJ Augustine, B minus, not going to belabor this one. Like, you know, I, I think he, he was solid. He, he was, you know, he, he had some some decent moments, but ultimately just was a defensive liability. The, the data really showed that the Lakers were worse with him on the floor. And, and, and again, part of that was just, the time of the season he joined the team, but also even within that time of the season, they were worse with him on the floor versus off of it. So he was just part of some bench lineups that got slaughtered. Wayne Ellington, I give him a C minus. I don't think he was that bad. I think he just, like someone was going to get squeezed with the perimeter situation. It ended up being Wayne Ellington. Uh, Basically after Christmas, he only played 17 times what was collecting DNP CDs and did have a really rough stretch before Christmas where he shot 27% 27% over a six-game span, and that was kind of it for him. We, we never really saw him again as a perimeter fixture, and I do think the Lakers could have used him, but it, it even though he shot 38.9% on threes overall, I just never really felt like his three-point shooting was that big of a difference maker. And last one, Kent Bazemore, D+. Another guy where heading into the season, you could have made the case Kent was arguably the fourth most important Laker just because of his 3 and D skill set coming out of Golden State where he was an important part. Uh, of that team, which was in the play-in, uh, ended up missing the playoffs. But um, maybe that was because Kent had such a big role. But he was shot 40.8% on threes last season, turned down more money with the Warriors, a bigger role with the Lakers. And he just had that, he, you know, he, he fit the mold of a long-limbed wing that could defend multiple positions and help the Lakers out. Uh, but despite starting as the starting shooting guard, his tenure in the rotation was short-lived. He was benched after 13 games. And from that point on, never played 15 plus minutes in more than two consecutive games. His erratic play from the fouls to the turnovers to the shot selection frustrated the coaching staff. And based on the on-off lineup data, he had the worst net rating differential on the roster. Only Rondo and DeAndre Jordan were worse, but those two guys didn't finish the season. So Kent ended up being one of the Lakers' bigger free agency misses. And, um, you know, they got rid of the, like, you know, DJ was gone. Rondo was gone. Trevor Reza was gone. So among the remaining Lakers, he arguably was the biggest miss. But to to recap, I'm pulling up pulling him up here. We got LeBron at an A, A D at a B minus, Russ at a D, Malik Monk A minus, Carmelo Anthony B plus, Austin Reeves A minus, Stanley Johnson B plus, Taylor Horton Tucker D. Dwight Howard, C, Avery Bradley, C minus, Kendrick Nunn, NA, incomplete, Wenyan Gabriel, B plus, DJ Augustine, B minus, Wayne Ellington, C minus, Kent Bazemore, D plus. Uh, so let me know either on the article on The Athletic or on Twitter what you think of these grades, which ones do you agree with, which ones do you disagree with. I'm sure Anthony Davis, Taylor Horton Tucker, Russ, uh, th- those are probably the three most controversial ones, but uh, yeah, let, let me know. I'd uh, love to hear your feedback. I'm, I'm always open and receptive to it. So looking forward to seeing that. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok 
at Yovan Buha, J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. If you're not subscribed to The Athletic, you can do so at theathletic.com or off of one of my articles. And of course, be sure to like and subscribe to this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. I'll be back next week.